Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Here we are at chapter 31 of book one of Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry. Chapter 31 is titled, The Jesuits in Freemasonry. An opinion has been held by several writers of the standing that the Society of Jesus, more briefly styled the Jesuits, sought about the end of the 17th and the beginning of the 18th century to mix with the Freemasons and to direct the aims of that institution to the ambitious designs of their own order. This view has been denied by other writers of equal rank, though it is admitted that Roman Catholic, if not Jesuitical, features are to be found in some of the high degrees. Mackey says that one German writer claims that the object of the Jesuits in seeking to get a grip upon the Masonic institution was that they might thus be assisted in their design of establishing an aristocracy within themselves, and that they planned to gain this object by securing not only the direction of the Masonic lodges, but also by getting a control of the schools and churches, and all the pursuits of sciences, and even business. But the more generally accepted reason for this attempt to interfere with the lodges is that the Jesuits thus sought by their influence and secret working to aid the stewards to regain the throne, and then, as an expected result, to re-establish the Roman Catholic religion in England. While there is a great lack of historical testimony to prove that the Jesuits ever mingled with Freemasonry, a question to be hereafter decided, there is no doubt of the selfish and ambitious designs of the disciples of Loyola to secure a control of the public and private affairs of every government where they could obtain a foothold. A knowledge of these designs led to the dislike of the order among even Roman Catholic powers and caused its total suppression in 1773 by Pope Clement Fourteenth from which he was not relieved until 1814, when their privileges were renewed by Pope Pius VII. Gadiq arrived at the conclusion that it is proved by history to be a falsehood that Freemasonry was ever concealed under the mask of Jesuitism, or that it derived its existence from that source. It is, however, but fair that we should collect and compare the arguments from both sides. Robeson, who where Freemasonry was concerned, could find a ghost under every bush, is of course a very little authority as to facts, but he may supply us with a record of the opinions which existed at the time of his writing. He says that when James II fled from England to France, which was in 1688, his followers took Freemasonry with them to the continent, where it was received and used by the French in a manner suited to the taste and habits of that people. He adds that, at this time also, the Jesuits took a more active hand in Freemasonry than ever. They insinuated themselves into the English lodges, where they were caressed by the Catholics, who panted after the re-establishment of their faith, and tolerated by the Protestant royalists, who thought no concession too great a compensation for their services. At this time, changes were made in some of the Masonic symbols, particularly in the tracing of the lodge, which bear evident marks of the Jesuitical interference. Speaking of the high degrees, the making or invention of which, however, he dates very early, he says that in all this progressive mummery we see much of the hand of the Jesuits, and it would seem that it was encouraged by the church. 
but he thinks that the Freemasons, protected by their secrecy, ventured further than the clergy approved in their philosophical explanations of the symbols, opposing at last some of the ridiculous and oppressive superstitions of the church. Thus he accounts for the persecution of Freemasonry at a later period by the priests and their attempt at that time to crush the lodges. The story, as thus told by Robeson, is about the same as that which had been accepted by all writers who traced the origin of Freemasonry to the Jesuits. They claim, as we have seen, that it was instituted about the time when James II was expelled from England. If it was not then invented as a secret society, they hold that it was at least modified in all its features from that form which it originally had in England, and was adapted as a political engine to aid in restoring the exiled monarch and to firmly establish in his recovered kingdom the Roman Catholic religion. Such theorists have evidently mixed up primitive speculative Freemasonry, consisting only of three degrees, with the further grades invented later and usually credited to Ramsey and the ritualist who followed him. But suppose we relieve the theory of this confusion and look at it as affirming that the Jesuits at the College of Claremont modified the third degree and invented others, such as the Scottish Knight of St. Andrew, for the purpose of restoring James II to the throne. In that case, we shall find no evidence in history to support this view. On the contrary, there are difficulties in the way which it will be impossible to overcome. James II left the throne in 1688. After a useless attempt to recover it by an unsuccessful invasion in Ireland, he took up his residence at the Chateau of St. Germain and Laye in France, where he died in 1701. No one has been able, between the two periods of 1688 when James gave up the throne and 1701 when he died, to find either in England or elsewhere any third degree such as in use by the regular lodges of today. Most Masonic students accept our present system as being given practically its present form between 1717 and 1738. A change could not have been made in the latter part of the 17th century of that which did not exist until the beginning of the 18th. If there was no speculative Freemasonry during the lifetime of Jains, distinctly different from the operative art practiced by the guilds of the Middle Ages, it is equally absurd to contend that added degrees or grades were invented to illustrate and complete a building whose foundations had not yet been laid. We may safely conclude that the theory that the Jesuits in the 17th century invented Freemasonry for the purpose of effecting one of their ambitious projects, or that they took it as it then existed, changed it, and added to it for the same purpose, is absolutely unsound. Another theory of the same type has been advanced. This accounts for the founding of what has been called Jesuitic Freemasonry at about the middle of the 18th century. This theory is certainly free from the errors as to dates which we meet in the other one, although the proofs that there ever was such a Freemasonry are still very unsatisfactory. This notion of the intrusion, as it may well be called, the uninvited or forced entrance of the Jesuits into the Masonic order, has been credited to the Illuminati, that secret society which was founded by Adam Weishaupt in Bavaria in May 1, 1776. The original object of this society was, as its founder declared, to enable its members to attain the greatest possible amount of virtue and by the association of good men to oppose the progress of moral evil. The Order of the Illuminati gained importance by being mentioned within Freemasonry, whose symbolic degrees may have formed the basis of its esoteric instructions. The associates of Weishaupt were certainly friendly to Freemasonry. This could lead it incorrectly to be deemed a Masonic rite. It could really lay no claim to that character, though Mackey points out it required a previous initiation into the symbolic degrees to entitle its disciples to advance further. 
Mackley is firmly of opinion that the charges made against it that it was a political organization and that one of its designs was to undermine the Christian religion, although strongly upheld by Barul, Robeson, and a host of other foes of Freemasonry, have no foundation in the truth. The principles of the order were liberal and philosophical. But Brother A.F.A. Woodward, Cyclopedia of Freemasonry, calls it a mischievous association and dangerously political. Weishaupt was originally a Roman Catholic and probably a Jesuit, and that he is not the first Jesuit by many who has preached revolutionary socialism and the overthrow of kingly power under the specious names of liberty, civilization, and universal fraternity. Brother George Washington, writing of the doctrines of the Illuminati and the principles of Jacobinism, also says, The idea I meant to convey was that I did not believe that the Lodge of Freemasons in this country had, as societies, endeavored to propagate the diabolical tenets of the first or the pernicious principles of the latter, if they are susceptible of separation. Advocating free thought, the Illuminati came, of course, into conflict with the Roman Catholic Church and the Society of Jesus, whose efforts were altogether the other way. The priests, therefore, became its most active enemies, and their opposition was so successful that it was forbidden in 1784 by the Elector of Bavaria, who arrested many members, imprisoned their leaders, Weishaupt escaping to Coburg Gotha, and seized its properties. A growing rivalry is reported to have existed between Illuminism and the many Masonic rites, which, about the period of its popularity, were constantly arising in Germany and in France. With the natural egotism of reformers, the Illuminati sought to improve the superiority of their own system to that of their rivals. We are told they claimed that all the lodges of Freemasons were secretly controlled by the Jesuits, that their laws and their mysteries were the inventions of the same order, of whom every Freemasonry was blindly the slave and the tool. Hence they concluded that he who desired to possess the genuine mysteries of Freemasonry must seek them not among the degrees of Rose Choir of the Scottish Knights, or still less among the English Freemasons and the disciples of the rite of strict observance in Germany, but only in the eclectic lodges that had been set at work by the Illuminati. Such, says Barul, was the doctrine of the Illuminati, advanced for the purpose of elevating the character and aims of their own institution. The French abbey is not generally trustworthy on any subject connected with Freemasonry, of which he was the avowed and firm foe, but we must acknowledge that he was not far from wrong in calling the story of Jesuitic Freemasonry a ridiculous and contemptible fable. We are disposed to agree with him when he says, if prejudice did not sometimes destroy the faculty of reasoning, we should be astonished that the Freemasons could permit themselves to be ensnared in so clumsy a trap. What is it, in fact, but to say to the Mother Lodge of Edinburgh, to the Grand Lodges of London and York, to their rulers and to all their Grand Masters, you thought that you held the reins of the Masonic world, and you looked upon yourselves as the great depository of its secrets, the distributor of its diplomas, but you are not so, and without even knowing it, are merely puppets of which the Jesuits hold the leading strings, and which they move at their pleasure." With but a little trouble, we may be able to solve this apparently difficult problem of the Jesuitical relations with Freemasonry. The Jesuits appear to have taken the priests of Egypt for their pattern. Like them, they sought to be the preservers and the explainers of religion. The vows which they took attached them to their order with bonds as secure as those that united the Egyptian priests in the sacred college of Memphis. Those who sought admission into their ranks were compelled to pass through the trials of their courage and faith. Their ambition was as lasting as their cunning was keen. They strove to be the confessors and the counselors of kings and to control the education of youth, that by these means they might become of importance in the state and direct the policy of every government where they were admitted. 
This policy was on all occasions to be made to serve the interest of the church. With not less than a hundred schools or colleges in France, the most important was that of Clermont, which, though at one time closed, had received renewed letters patent from Louis XIV. This college of Clermont, where James II was a frequent guest, led there by his religious feelings, is said to have been the seat of that plan of the Stuart faction to secure either in the invention or the adoption of Freemasonry a means of restoring the monarch to his throne and of reviving the Roman Catholic religion in Protestant England. We may readily admit that the Jesuits were very anxious to accomplish both of these objects, and that for that purpose they would enter into any plot which would probably lead to success. With this purpose, there can be but little doubt that they united with the friends of the Stuarts. But this conspiracy could not have had any reference to a Masonic organization, because Freemasonry, as we now know it, was during the life of James II, wholly unknown in France, and known in England only as a guild of operative Freemasons, into which a few non-Masons had been admitted through courtesy. It certainly had not yet been assumed the form in which we are called upon it to view as the political engine used by the Jesuits. The Grand Lodge of England, the mother of all modern speculative Freemasonry, had no existence until 1717, or 16 years after the death of the king. We are bound, therefore, if on the ground of these dates alone, to reject any theory that connects the Jesuits with the Freemasonry during the life of James II. Nevertheless, we may be ready to admit their political plots in the interest of that dethroned king. During the life of his son, and as far as that goes, his ranking successor, the so-called James III, speculative Freemasonry was organized in its modern form in England and passed over to France. The lodge established in Paris in 1725 was probably built up of friends of that Stuart family and has already been shown. Probably most of its members were Roman Catholics and under the influence of the Jesuits, but it is not likely that those priests took an active part in the inner organization of the lodge. They could do their work better outside of it than within. Mackey finds in the Rose Croix and some of the other high degrees the influences of a Roman Catholic spirit in the original rituals. This might naturally arise from the religious tendencies of their founders and did not require the special aid of Jesuitism. The bull of excommunication of Pope Clement XII in 1738 must have cut off the Jesuits from all connection with Freemasonry except as its foes and slanderers, parts which up to the present day they have played without a halt. We must refuse to accept the theory which asserts that there once existed for the Jacobite cause a friendly union between Freemasonry and Jesuitism. That is one of those mythical stories which, born in the imagination of its inventors, has been fostered only by the easy belief of those accepting the claim. Now, not more than a fable, not even clearly contrived, there was a time when it was received as a part of the trustworthy history of Freemasonry. A few words may be said of the history of the Jesuits. A royal decree expelled them from Portugal in 1759, Spain finally banished them in 1869, France in 1880, Russia in 1820, Germany in 1883, Switzerland in 1848. While England, which once forced them out by penalties severe unto death, relaxed these laws later, and the orders had a foothold in that country, Belgium, Ireland, Italy, the United States, etc., for some account of the reasons for the lack of favor shown the Jesuits by those so well able to judge them, the reader may consult to advantage the witty Provincial Letters by Blaise Pascal. And that concludes chapter 31. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. 
We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.